0: Hello, I'm Michael Serapio, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. On Primetime Politics, agreeing to a daily pause. As Israeli ground forces go deeper into Gaza, the Netanyahu government formalizes a four-hour stop to the fighting, meant to be daily. This to allow civilians to get out of harm's way and to get humanitarian aid in. Canada's Foreign Affairs Minister in the meantime goes further than any other person in her government in acknowledging the need to discuss a ceasefire. Coming up, we'll get reaction from the Chief Representative for the Palestinian Delegation to Canada. And IS THE PRIME MINISTER RUNNING OUT OF WINNING POLICIES TO TURN HIS SAGGING NUMBERS AROUND? WE'LL CONVENE OUR WEEKLY JOURNALIST PANEL. THIS IS PRIMETIME POLITICS. Hello, everyone. I'm Michael Serapio. As Israeli forces continue their ground offensive into Gaza, the government of Benjamin Netanyahu did announce a pause this week. It's not the ceasefire that some have called for, but it is a four-hour daily stop in the Israeli campaign to allow for humanitarian aid to get in and civilians the chance to get away from the fighting. And also on the same day this week, the Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Joly said there is a need to work for a ceasefire. The first time any Canadian official has embraced that idea rather than just a humanitarian pause. Well, joining us now is Mona Abu Amara, the Chief Representative of the Palestinian General Delegation to Canada. Uh, Madam Abu Amara, thank you for joining us again.
1: Thank
0: you. So I want to begin uh, with your reaction to what we heard from Melanie Jolie this week. This idea, this acknowledgement that uh, there needs to be work towards a ceasefire. What do you say to that?
1: Um... It, it's a great message, and um, for us, we feel it's long overdue because we have been uh, facing uh, uh, what the war machine of Israel, when a green light is given by the free world, by countries like the US, Canada, and Europe. Uh, so, just starting to hear those voices support. Uh, such an action to stop the bloodshed and the genocide of the Palestinian people is uh, something we really appreciate.
0: Up until now, uh, we've heard from the Prime Minister uh, saying that there needs to be humanitarian pauses. And we now know uh, that Israel has agreed to four-hour daily pauses in the fighting. Uh, I want to begin with this idea of a humanitarian pause. Why is that so different for you than an idea of a ceasefire?
1: It's not different and it's really different. The The main thing is what do you do after. So when those hours end, that's what tells you if uh, that's something we support or not. Because if you're just providing water, food and uh, medical supplies for the injured um, and then you start bombing them again, it defies the purpose. It's counterproductive of finding a a final solution that could prevent such atrocities from happening to begin with. And that's why we were calling for a ceasefire and end to the aggression so the people, the civilians, um, 2.5 almost million uh, Palestinians would feel safe. And um, the other thing is that even when Israel claims that it's providing those four hours or those paths that are safe uh, for people to transport on, we've seen, even today, um, people who were trying to get to the south being shot at and uh, uh, while they're doing so. So uh, there is a need to have a, uh, a very firm statement by the leaders to make. Israel actually adhere to the international law and to its responsibilities as an occupying power.
0: Well, as you and I are recording this interview, and to be completely transparent to people at home, this is Friday afternoon that you and I are discussing uh, or speaking with each other. There are right now reports uh, coming out of uh, from Gaza uh, where the fighting is around hospitals and explosions have been heard near hospitals. And this is where people and patients are being treated right now. What have you heard about that situation?
1: It's not new. Uh, it has testified and and it's a problem now because whenever Israel bombs one hospital people would leave there and go to another one or whenever the fuel in one hospital um, uh, ends then they can't operate it's turned off and then they have to evacuate and go somewhere else so now Al-Shifa hospital is a scene of a total tragedy and the problem for the Palestinians is that all of those scenes that the world seeing is allowed to continue and there is no um, human uh, reasoning behind any such atrocities that are being committed and inflicted on the Palestinian people that uh, uh, have not done anything wrong and just excusing that as a goal of Israel to attack Hamas which it's not um, doing it's attacking the whole of the Palestinian population and it's most vulnerable because half of that population are kids.
0: Mm-hmm. It, it echoes in many ways what you're saying to, to us right now, what we've heard from UN officials, that right now there is no safe place to go in Gaza. Uh, can you talk to us about what you're hearing uh, about the lack of safety and where people are meant to go?
1: Um, I can tell you from a personal experience. I have family in Gaza, and uh, the other day we heard of um, their building, where um, three sons uh, live with their wives and kids there, so ten children. They convince their parents to come and stay with them in in the house because they live right next to Ash-Shifa Hospital. Um, the boys, uh, the, the the three men, have a restaurant that they build their apartments uh, on top of. Uh, so the whole building went down. Their parents were with them. Um, so the the elderly man and woman um, with their three sons were in the basement of the re- restaurant because they thought that was the safest place to be. Uh, the three, the son's wives with the ten kids were on the upper uh, floor in a room. The whole four-story building uh, was sh- shattered to pieces. They managed, thankfully, to get the uh, th- three women and their uh, children uh, the, um, they were injured injuries one uh, two of them uh, of the women serious one was uh, nine months pregnant she's still pregnant she didn't give birth um, and uh, she broke her leg and now in uh, in Ashifa hospital and uh, uh, the other one had a head injury the kids had injuries they managed to pull them out but the five um, were now are martyrs and uh, they couldn't pull them out till the next two of them till the next day and three stayed for two more days until they were able to pull them off so it's and, and I, I only have few the in, in Gaza w- we, we are refugees like people were dispossessed from um, historic Palestine my family from Yaffa and some had that next step staying in Gaza so Us, as a family, we have little family in Gaza, not not a lot, as others who are losing 150 uh, at a time um, of people, just whole families being erased from the civil record. So it's a national trauma, Michael. And and that's the thing that we do not understand, how the world sees this happening and uh, is not moving to end it
0: if I may, and I don't want to be insensitive here to to what you just shared with us, but when the issue is raised about the civilian casualties in Gaza, we hear it often from current American officials, past American officials, who, who lay the blame on Hamas, because they say that Hamas has spent the time to build hundreds of kilometers worth of tunnels purposely beneath civilian enclaves, beneath hospitals, schools, places where normally war would try to stay away from, but Hamas is the one that has endangered the Palestinian people. What do you say to that rationale?
1: Uh, Of course they say that, but as usual, no proof has been provided. And every time the U.S. or Israel comes out with uh, recordings or videotapes and they um, are They wouldn't be accepted in family court. If anyone would want to uh, have proof or evidence of anything, you wouldn't take it in family court, not to mention to excuse a genocide. Um, We don't understand why they wouldn't open Gaza to the international uh, organs and prove that this is what's happening. It's easy. If you know it, you can show it. And show us how many of those uh, tunnels you found. How many of those Hamas militants that are in those hospitals, schools, and uh, bakeries and homes um, were bombed? My family, the, the, the building that uh, my family was in, is a building where only those members are. Uh, And so what is the excuse for that? And do they deserve justice or not? So those are the questions that are asked to uh, not just the Israeli uh, government, it's to all those government who take whatever Israel is saying for granted. But then when those evidence are proved to be bogus, no one's talking about it.
0: The Israeli Prime Minister says that there will be no talk of any ceasefire whatsoever until the hostages are held and he is calling for their release where do things stand there now do you think that their release might be possible to bring about a ceasefire
1: so um i i can't speak for hamas or know what the what their um rationale on this is but what we hear from um um our arab counterparts our um on the tv on tv and um We've heard that there were a lot of uh, instances where uh, there could be a swap, but then that Israel did not want to go through with it. Um, I believe that this, the reason behind this is that Netanyahu wants to save himself on um, the on one side um, by by creating this whole dilemma and creating this, this monster that he's fighting so nobody would actually look at what has, he has done uh, in, during all those decades, not to mention uh, now the, how this whole situation came to be and, and the injustice is uh, is built. On the other hand, um, the, the outlook on not providing justice for the Palestinians need an excuse and, and that is being used so much by the Western world that we have been, even before this aggression happened, we have been calling for the implementation of international law. We have been calling for the implementation of the two-state solution. But our land kept getting smaller, and our people get uh, kept being butchered. So on on that level, All of these aggressions that are happening right now are part of a bigger plan that Israel has, and it's to create this deal of the century type of uh, situation forcibly on on the ground, even if we do not accept it.
0: Uh, Quickly running out of time, uh, but what is your message to the Canadian government at this point?
1: Um, I think that Canada needs to step up as the defender and pro, uh, promoter of human rights and the inter- rules-based international order with action. It's uh, the history will remember the actions that are happening right now and uh, going forward. I hope that. Canada would uh, not keep Palestine as an exception to that protection and, and the need for self-determination and justice uh, to be served, because without justice, there can be no peace.
0: Madam Abu Muara, thank you for this. Appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Well, Parliament will not be sitting next week, giving MPs a chance to spend more time at home and in their individual ridings. But when they return, it will be busy. There are just four sitting weeks left in 2023. A fall economic statement has already been announced for the 21st of this month, not to mention Pharmacare, emissions caps, and most challenging for the governing Liberals, polling numbers that seem to get worse with each passing week. So, much to talk about as we are joined by our weekly journalist panel. Robert Fife is the Ottawa Bureau Chief for the Globe and Mail. Tana McCharles, the Ottawa Bureau Chief for the Toronto Star, and Joanna Smith, the Ottawa Bureau Chief for the Canadian Press. Hello to the three of you from the only one who's not a Bureau Chief. Okay. <laughs> so listen, obviously a lot to talk about, as I say, uh, especially when we get uh, past next week. But, But I want to begin by going backwards a little bit and talk about the environment, because this week did begin with that vote uh, from the Conservatives, supported by the NDP, trying to expand a pause of the carbon tax on home heating. It failed. And then we hear from the Environment Commissioner, who says if Canada wants to get on track with its international targets, it needs to, among other things, lean heavily on its carbon regime. So is the environment still a winning issue for the Liberals?
2: Look, it's becoming a more challenging issue for them for all the reasons that you talked about. You know, they're, they're really challenged on trying to explain the latest tweak they made to their carbon pricing policy. I'm not sure the Environment Commissioner said, lean in more heavily on carbon pricing. He said, you know, you haven't accounted for, have you accounted for how your recent changes are not going to affect emissions reductions, that, that you need emissions reductions. And, that, and he went really hard on them, on failing to deliver what's been promised already in their plan um, and questioning whether they'll ever reach the targets they've set. So it is a definitely on both a policy level and on a politics level more difficult for the government to convince Canadians that they can achieve what they promised 2015, 2019, 2021. And going into an elect- next election, whether it's 24 or 25, you know, then they're running on a track record, not just aspirational promises. Mm-hmm. Well, I think.
3: It's important to remember the other part of what the Environment Commissioner said. He said, you know, economists say carbon pricing is pretty essential to emissions reduction. It's smart policy. However, the Liberals need to communicate it better to Canadians. Be more transparent about what it's going to cost them. Last year, he did talk about how it was disproportionately affecting small business Indigenous communities. says he wasn't really sure in his reports last year whether the heavy emitters, the industrial uh, heavy emitters, were really getting taxed quite as much. Um, it has always been a bit weird to me. The liberals have, I feel, never, in, in trying to get at that affordability issue, talk about the climate rebates, it's like they're trying to hide the fact that carbon pricing is supposed to eventually cost more and change behavior. It's like they want to it's pretend that's to not hurt. the goal. It is yeah. supposed to hurt. Yeah. But they haven't been good at communicating that. They haven't been honest about that. So they expose themselves to all sorts of vulnerabilities about obfuscation. And The problem is, too, I mean, this is it was always going to be hard it's a short-term long-term uh, short-term gain long-term pain policy mm-hmm. not communicated well now they've gone and bit this carve out for what appears to be purely political reasons which have come out and said and so no one really trusts them anymore it's completely incoherent and it's hard for them to now have the higher ground go on a campaign and say we're doing this for the right reasons this will bear fruit generations down the road it's hard for them to say that when they've backed down in this way
4: mm-hmm. uh, Bob what do you say yeah look uh, Canadians do care about the environment. There is no doubt about that. Polls, polls all show that. And we certainly had a terrible summer with all those forest fires. Um, you know, the climate is changing, and it's not f- for the very good. Um, but the problem that this government has is they, which is often the case with them, is they talk a good game, but they never fulfill the. The promises of, of all that talking. So, I mean, we're not meeting, We're not going to meet our uh, climate targets for two thousand and thirty, according to the uh, environmental com- environmental uh, commissioner. Um, you know, we 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 still are still waiting for these um, regulations dealing with uh, caps on oil and, and and gas, for example, that they, that we haven't seen yet. The clean fuel uh, regulation. We want to see that. There's a lot of things that this government hasn't done. And Which when, they, when they pull to. and when they do the uh, car vote for oil and uh, home heating oil for political reasons, that just undermines the credibility. The one good thing they may have going for them when it comes to the climate issues is well, how will the conservatives, what kind of plan will the conservatives put forward during an election campaign? If they can have a, a, if they can put forward a credible uh, plan because they're gonna, they want to they get rid of the carbon tax, that could ch- that that will either help. That will help, obviously help the conservatives. It's credible. If it's not credible, it'll help the, the liberals. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. You know, and that's interesting because you you, you all almost touch on my my next question too. Because I was using the word winning on purpose. Because as we know, the liberals, the prime minister, doing really poorly in the polls. They've tried a number of resets already. Among them, the, the cabinet shuffle, uh, coming back, talking more about affordability when Parliament returned in September. None of that seems to be changing the trajectory of pollings for the Liberals and Justin Trudeau. Uh, why haven't those adjustments worked?
2: Well, they haven't. Mm, you mean the adjustments that the Liberals have in or haven't terms made? Of, yeah, they in have, terms of. Because in terms they of, haven't made a whole lot, right? Mm. They made the carbon tax adjustment, and it, politically it's troubling them, and and it's it's a big hit to them. Um, look, I think that.
0: But they have reshuffled a the team. They have done out, a bunch of adjustments. About, yes.
2: But. I think most people have perceived them, and probably rightly so, as either um, cosmetic or for electoral purposes, and um, trying to bolster their chances in certain ridings where the new ministers that have come in are really, you know, they need help, they need to show a profile and that the government's working for them there, and they're desperate to keep those ridings. So, have there been big adjustments, though? Like, I would argue that, you know they haven't done a reset of their agenda in a couple of years since the 21 election i guess there's mandate letters out that uh, a couple of mandate letters out but they haven't made a major reset in where they're going i mean for months we've been a lot of us have been wondering like where is their next big idea that's going to carry them forward get them uh, get the population excited get people excited but fundamentally you know they have major Foreign issues, inflation, interest rates—everything on both a domestic and a foreign front—is massively a crisis for them right now. So, what's the reset? I, I don't—I don't think there has been a reset. They're trying to channel their energies along a plan they think is working, but politically, it's not working for them.
0: Mm-hmm. Joanna, well,
3: I think if you take all these announcements on housing, um, one of the one of the things is that a lot of these policies, a lot of these programs are going to take several years yeah. to bear fruit, right? And They've already been in power for eight years. Um, the 2017 National Housing Strategy was sort of promised as this big nation-building legacy sort of project. A lot of problems with it. It really didn't perform as expected. Then they promised a the Housing Accelerator Fund. Pretty smart policy, actually, ways to sort of get around uh, you know, promoting urban density, longer term things, go- give money directly to municipalities, it was promised didn't actually start rolling out until this summer, looked very much political for the first one to be announced at London, Ontario during the Liberal caucus retreat that was focused on housing, right? And again, these things are going to take time. So it's, it's a matter of they may be doing things, um, but I think there's a lack of trust and they're not a new government. They've been in power for eight years. And so people are thinking, okay, you've got these housing policies now, but you had housing policies before they weren 't really working, or where were you where were you then and it 's just they 're starting so far behind the line
2: now I think that that 's one of the reasons it's going to be hard for it to stick. And, and, and some of the big things that they have done that were arguably successes from their perspective, the child benefit, child care program. Now there's a national child care program in this yep. country. I mean, but they're subsumed under inflation crisis, you know, interest rates that are crunching people's mortgages and, and credit card bills. And so I think that, you know, it's hard to argue their successes in the face of ongoing big, big problems. And, and maybe that's a communications challenge. But it's also, you know, I, I think it's a fiscal challenge. Where are they going to pull out another new big program? PharmaCare, they're going to be really challenged to deliver care. I'd yeah, say. Yeah,
4: which we'll get to in a second, but, but very quickly to you on, on oh, this. Look, I mean, this is a tired government. Uh, the Prime Minister is running out of steam. Uh, Canadians seem to be, from the polls, fed up with the, with the prime minister personally, and uh, you know, and that's that's not unusual. Um, you know, they're heading into the ninth year, and nobody since Mackenzie King has won uh, an election after ten years. So um, I, I don't see how the prime minister can recover from this, particularly because the economy is not going to get much better um, before the next election campaign. And you'll have, uh, you know, the Conservatives will be out there promising a, a better world, a, a better future, uh, if you elect us, and, which is what all uh, opposition parties do after the 10-year period, and they usually win. Yeah. Okay. Well, bearing all of that in mind, then, again, the Parliament not sitting next week. They come
0: back, uh, just a few weeks left in this parliamentary sitting before the end of the year. Uh, we talked about pharmacare. We talked about emissions caps. What are you keeping an eye on here, both the politics and the policy uh, for this government and for this parliament?
2: Well, I mean, beyond the big piece of this parliament, which would be both the fiscal update and the next budget and how, where their spending priorities are going to go, um, I, I'm looking for how they lead on three major contentious files right now for them. And, yes, Canadians may not vote on foreign policy issues, but they also look to foreign policy issues and how they're handled by a government as an indicator of leadership. And so, you know, with the Israel-Hamas war showing no end in sight, with India, the Canada-India dispute uh, looming large and having an economic impact potentially on trade. And, you know, there's still a major war going on in Europe, in Ukraine. And that's affecting commodity prices, energy prices, food prices, supply chain issues. So these are huge challenges. And I'm still, those are ones I I continue to watch.
0: Joanna?
3: Pharmacare? Um, It's something the NDP really really wants it's in the Uh-oh. confidence and supply yeah, agreement it's supposed to be
0: passed before the end of this year yes, based on the agreement
3: a so bill, you'll a it's a, bill, a right? bill right so yes. yeah that, well that's yes. the thing right so the agreement is a bill by the end of the year what goes into that bill huge matter of debate still i think yeah. they're very far apart of what they want to do so we saw you know ndpnp don davies told our reporter laura osmond We didn't like the first draft, sent it back. Discussions, you know, Minister says, extremely fluid still. Um, I think the Liberals are thinking, we promised a bill, which could mean anything. And the NDP is like, no, no, actually, we want a universal pharmacare program.
0: And that was clear in their convention. That was
3: clear in their convention. And that was not a resolution that just, you know, came from the grassroots, some fringe wing or whatever. You know, National Director Anne McGrath, who knows her way around politics and election campaigns, came right out and said, no, we want to see teeth in this pharmacare. Bill. We want to see a PharmaCare program. So, whether each side will give them some wiggle room, what will be considered enough teeth, what will be considered, it all remains to be seen. It's unclear where the NDP is with the agreement right now. You know, my my earlier thinking was. They don't want election. They don't want, probably, have to be prime minister. But when they're starting to feel heat, northern Ontario ridings where their battle's not necessarily with the Liberals or other places out west, their battles with the Conservatives, at some point they're going to need to be thinking about saving their own furniture, too. So a silhouette's a way there, but I, that's about that's a line I'm looking forward to, to seeing.
0: Okay, final word to you, Bob.
4: Uh, for me, um, all eyes on Trudeau. Uh, is he going to stay or not go? I mean, he keeps saying he intends to stay, but the polls are really bad for him. And that's going to make Liberals, MPs, very nervous. Um, and, you know, people are already talking quietly about this. There, Nobody ha- has come out, aside from uh, a, f- a, f- a former chief of staff to Jean Cretchen to say he should step down. But Liberal MPs are talking about it. And eventually, this is going to hit a crescendo, and it's going to cause a lot more problems for the prime minister um, if he doesn't go. And so I think that, to me, is a a really fascinating political story to be watching.
0: Okay. Well, uh, I know we're still all working, but enjoy the week off as much as possible. (laughs) We'll reconvene when Parliament gets back. But for now, thank you to the preview.
3: Thanks, Michael. Thank you.
0: Well, let's take a look now at some of the stories that dominated the headlines this past week. It started with a vote on a conservative motion to extend the carbon tax break to all home heating. The Tories got some unexpected support from the NDP, but the motion was defeated as the Greens sided with the Liberals, as did the Bloc Québécois.
4: Given that the NDP was forced to flip flop on Trudeau's plan to quadruple the tax, he had to find a new partner to keep him in power and avoid this non-confidence vote from passing. And who was there to save him? The separatists. Well, he's now signed on with the separatists to divide Canadians into two separate classes. Those who will have to pay carbon tax on their home heat and a small minority who will get a pause from the pain. I declare
0: the motion defeated. And there was another motion, this time from the NDP, calling for the removal of the GST from all home heating sources. That was put to vote this past week, but the motion failed with Liberals, Conservatives and the Bloc voting against it, and the NDP, along with the Greens, supporting it. The final vote, 30 votes for, 292 against
2: climate delay liberals and climate deny conservatives will back the profits of big oil again. So how can the prime minister and the leader of the conservative party justify voting against this?
0: The Liberal government made good on its promise to ban temporary workers during labor disputes like lockouts or strikes. Dubbed anti-scab legislation, it was tabled Thursday and will apply to federally regulated industries like aviation, banking and telecoms. By tabling the bill, the Liberals are also following through on a key demand of the NDP as written in the Supply and Confidence Agreement between the two parties. Take a listen to Labor Minister Seamus O'Regan.
2: of replacement workers can poison the relationship between an employer and workers for years. We listened.
0: The Prime Minister spoke strongly against anti-Semitism and Islamophobia this week, disheartened by hateful comments and actions that have emerged in this country since the start of the Israel-Hamas conflict one month ago. This needs to stop. This is not who we are as Canadians. This is something that is not acceptable in Canada, period. And finally, Ottawa has set a date for its fall economic update. The Finance Minister, Chrystia Freeland, will deliver the statement to the House on November the 21st. In its spring budget, the federal government projected a $40.1 billion deficit for the 2023-24 fiscal year. Well, that is our program for now. I'm Michael Serapio. For everyone here at CPAC, thank you for watching. We have next week off, but Primetime Politics will be back when Parliament returns. Until then, take care.